A topic that is far from glamorous is thinking about the negative effects of low communication and seniors. This can be shown from depression, loneliness, and helplessness. Many seniors may feel sad and frustrated because they do not know who to turn to for help and advice. According to eldercarealliance.org, socialization may improve memory and longevity as it reduces stress and isolation. Many seniors socialize by spending time in group exercise classes, which can provide a number of physical benefits, including the potential to increase lifespan. According to axretirement.org, socialization can provide a tremendous boost to a senior's cognitive health as well. Positive social interactions on a consistent basis will help keep seniors stimulated, mentally sharp, and intellectually engaged. Not surprisingly, the improvements in these cognitive areas can help prevent general cognitive decline, including memory loss, Alzheimer's disease, and other forms of dementia. Many of us who have been to a nursing home or an assisted living care facility may have even seen patients who have lost some of their memory or have diseases such as Alzheimer's. This can be a very heartbreaking thing to watch or to even go through even with our own family or friends. It is our job as a community, as friends, and as family to try our hardest to help keep seniors socialized and to try to minimize these risks. AxeRetirement.org went even further to give us ideas that we can do for for or with seniors to promote a healthy social life. Building and maintaining positive relationships with grandchildren, doing volunteer work, taking advantage of community resources, such as senior centers or religious organizations, moving to a retirement community, many of which offer one-bedroom apartments at reasonable rates that still provide access to full schedules of activities and socialization opportunities, organizing social activities on your own and including seniors who might be experiencing isolation or loneliness, helping maintain a sense of purpose by caring for a pet, church attendance, or the pursuit of hobbies and interests, and for loved ones, ensuring that older adults have adequate transportation to and from social activities. Doing some or all of these are examples that will help us ensure we are doing our best in helping the elderly that want or need help. Another area of great concern within the senior community is communication that relates to their health. We all know of some seniors who struggle to keep up to date with their health. Um, This can be seen from forgetting to take medication, struggling to keep motivated to do a physical exercise, hearing issues, and the ever-imposing consequence and struggle of using modern technology. According to the CDC.com, the best steps to take to ensure the best communication possible are keeping information focused, repeating information as needed, allowing people time to process the information, using face-to-face communication and making the information personally relevant, highlighting the short-term benefits of taking a specific action, providing sufficient follow-up for each person you contact, using the best forms of communication possible will help these seniors' health literacy as well, and will allow them to not only hear what you are saying, but also to comprehend what you are saying. Keeping seniors motivated to be physically active can also prove to be challenging. 
which in turn can lead to a decline in their physical health. Having a friend, a healthcare provider, or family can help them with this issue and make it easier and more enjoyable for seniors. According to nia.nih.gov, we can help seniors by making exercise fun and enjoyable, finding ways to fit exercise into their day, making exercise a social activity, and helping them keep track of their exercise programs. Helping seniors with their physical exercise will help them be more physically healthy and can even improve their mental health. By helping as much as we can within these areas, we can contribute to seniors' mental, emotional, and physical health. These issues are of great importance and concern. This is why I chose to dig even deeper and connect with someone who has had personal experience in a nursing home as a patient care provider. Stephanie has had hands-on experience and has been providing care for seniors for many years. We all know the importance of including seniors into our daily social life. Today, I'm going to be interviewing someone who has worked in a nursing home in a healthcare facility and who has helped treat and care for these elderly people. So the first question I have today for Stephanie is how or what do you or your staff do to ensure that you have the best possible communication within the facility? Okay, so the staff and I at the transitional care and rehab facility that I've worked at um, communicated best through our paging system, which is just a pager. Um, we would be paged to rooms, by doctors, by other nurses, um, and we would also use electronic charting, which allowed us to document everything easier and uh, more thorough. Okay, so how or what did you do to best prepare for patients that were multicultural and how did you communicate with them, you know, if they ran into any issues such as language barriers or different customs that required you guys to do different things or special things for them? So I worked in an area that was very diverse and had a lot of different uh, multicultural patients. So um, we had the opportunity to have a translator if needed, if there was the language barrier. Um, but first and foremost, we would go through a family member if needed, um, and they would kind of translate if necessary. Um, but for those who didn't have any family members, we would offer um, a translator um, either virtually or in person. It just really depended on the language or whatnot. Um, I experienced a um, lady who was hard of hearing and her husband was as well, but can still communicate. So he actually taught me how to sign with her um, so I could communicate best with her. And what did you or your team have to do to make sure that you were all following, you know, like ethical standards and ethical behavior, um, which has definitely been something that's been hot in the media lately about people, you know, not ethically working in the nursing homes or in healthcare facilities. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, talk about the abuse that also happens within the healthcare facility. Um, how did you guys manage that and make sure that you were doing that as best you could? Okay, so first and foremost with that, um, it kind of begins with the training just for the positions um, kind of in healthcare. Um, so for instance, I was trained as a certified nursing assistant and that was a huge topic that um, they enforced us to learn 
um, before even becoming certified to be, you know, eligible to work in a nursing home. Um, so we also have continuous training in our facility, which includes in-person and virtually to make sure that we're going um, to standards. And then our facility must meet Board of Health guidelines, which is enforced even before like our certifications and whatnot. So it's kind of double certified to make sure that that is not going against any type of guidelines like that. So also, did your team do anything in particular just to make sure that your patients comprehended the things that you were saying? Um, I know a lot of times people have, you know, assumptions and, you know, misinformed (laughs) ideas about seniors and how they don't understand what we're saying um, and, you know, that it can be difficult to communicate with them. Um, How did you guys handle this in order to make it um, you know, easier for them to understand what you're saying and then in turn make sure that they understood everything that you were trying to relay to them, you know, whether it included anything about their health or what their plans were or, you know, just anything in general. So as a healthcare worker, um, there's an array of um, people that were kind of used or trained to um, be able to treat or um, kind of work with or trained properly to accommodate those patients of all ages. So um, in my facility, we have more elderly patients. um, So we're used to speaking loudly and clearly if necessary, which is the stigma of the elderly basically. Um, But um, to go against that stigma, we'll print out records and whatever we need best to explain to them. And usually a nurse or a doctor will do that. Or if necessary, um, we will get a social worker involved, usually not all the time but most of the time um, to get the family involved. So the family is more understanding for those who can't comprehend. And what were, you know, your strategies that you had to follow in order to maintain, you know, patient compliance, whether this is with patient behavior or, you know, the medications that were required for you to give them or for them to receive, as well as, you know, treatments. So um, for patients that are non-compliant, it's really up to the doctor's orders on how to treat them or approach them um, with giving um, medications or treatments. And if they have any behavioral problems, they will get um, a psychiatrist involved if needed. And usually the nurses also um, are kind of below the doctor. And um, we really just have to work as a team to make sure that the patient is compliant. Yeah, and I I know another part of um, the patient compliance, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, circumstances with that. Um, have you had any particular instances where, you know, maybe you needed help in order to treat a patient or, you know, you specifically had a patient that had issues that you had to deal with in specific ways? Just be like, oh, there have been... You know, you had a... <laughs> In my personal experience, I've um, had to deal with violent patients, and in that scenario, um, we would go in as like a pair just to make sure um, that there was someone else to kind of vouch for what was going on just in case of any legal action, if necessary, and everything would be documented and it'd basically, you know, be two against one if, if need be, and everything would just be documented and have to be relayed back to the family if there was any issue. And of course, the doctor and the nurses would also be involved if necessary. 
So I know a big trend, um, especially today in the medical field, um, is making sure you know that different organizations follow HEPA standards. Um, so you know, making sure that their information doesn't get out there, and making sure that everything is kept pretty confidential between you and your your clients and your patients. Um, how specifically did you use this, or how did how is the philosophy within the building that you worked in? So in any healthcare facility setting, um, HIPAA is involved. Um, so any incoming patient that is going to be staying long term, they're that they themselves have to fill it out um, just so their information isn't being leaked to anybody not on their account or no doctors that like aren't involved with their care or treatments or anything. Um, and then they usually have like a secondary person fill out a HIPAA form as well. And then... Um, we're trained on HIPAA very in depth. So even um, as we get hired in to work in a healthcare facility, we ourselves also have to fill a HIPAA compliance form. So I know this is pretty much, you know, the main point of, of what I'm trying to talk to you today about, um, but did you have any specific programs or activities that you tended to offer to, you know, your senior patients that help them socialize? Um, and, you know, make them feel like they were more included within the community, um, whether that was the community in the nursing home or, you know, the community, you know, outside of the nursing home. So at the facility I worked at, um, they were kind of a teaching facility. Um, so I actually did my CNA clinicals there. Um, so they had that um, kind of open to the community. So most of the patients were open to um, meeting new faces all the time. But for the patients themselves, um, they had um, a program activity director who would come up with um, weekly activity plans, such as bingo, playing cards, different ice cream socials. They had a hair salon that they were able to go to. They had group outings to restaurants, local parks. They would have holiday parties and whatnot just to um, kind of keep them socialized in um, I know, you know, especially recently, there's also been, you know, many studies and many papers and, and you know, talks about how, you know, the issue um, with seniors and, you know, their social support system, whether that's, you know, psychologists, counselors, you know, any emotional support system. Um, it's kind of been, you know, a problem in the recent news and it's been more of a a recent conversation that has been brought to our attention. Um, so were there like any programs that you guys offered that provided any social support? Um, so, you know, if any of your patients weren't feeling the best, you know, that they could talk to a psychologist or if they were, you know, depressed or unhappy, if they had, like, was there anyone that they had to turn to if they needed anything like that? So at my facility, um, we had a psychologist on staff um, but I worked the midnight shift, so we would have them on call if necessary and need be. Um, but primarily, we would use um, kind of reach out to their families um, upon their patient request, of course, on if we could share that information. But um, our psychologist would um, come in and schedule meetings if necessary. 
Yeah, and I know that, you know, that's really important. Um, have you personally had any, you know, patient of yours try to reach out to you and specifically, you know, ask for you to help, you know, whether that, you know, whether they were depressed or just needing someone to talk to? Um, did you ever, you know, yourself personally have an experience with a client or a patient um, of them reaching out to you and trying to ask you for help? So since my facility was a transitional and rehab facility, um, there was not only the elderly, but there is also a variety of ages on, on the transitional part um, with the rehab unit. So um, I personally had to um, take care of someone in their 20s um, who had a drug overdose problem. So she was always trying to find coping me mechanisms and whatnot. So she always would reach out and try to talk to me for help but um I always have to report that if there's any talks of like self-harm or anything and we have to report that to the doctor in writing um to the um director of nursing and they're kind of the ones in charge of how to proceed with that but they usually get the social worker the family involved um if need be so I know more importantly and more recently, um, there's been some kind of, you know, controversy as to whether or not there's actually, you know, health benefits to senior patients who were more social versus those um, who were more, you know, secluded and wanted to keep to themselves. Um, you know, some people saying that it can increase, you know, their mental health, which will make them more motivated to try and get out there and do more things and, and you know, talk to more people um, and make them, you know, not as stressed and not as depressed, um, which could actually in turn lead to them living a, a better life and a more, you know, a longer life. Do you believe that there's, you know, any health benefits associated to these seniors who, you know, are more active and more involved in the programs that you have established and, you know, more involved in the community rather than those who, you know, are kind of off to the side? Um, or have what have you seen while you were working there, you know, to kind of show this or to not show this? Or what are your thoughts on this? So in my personal opinion, um, I think it is beneficial. Um, I have seen quite a few people in um, the long-term care unit that I um, worked in uh, who are more social um, actually have better quality of life. And it all just kind of really depends on each individual person who wants to um, be active and social and whatnot. Um, so that's kind of why we provide the activities um, where they can be social and um, there's actually studies going on. Um, we don't have doctors directly in our unit, um, but they're called in usually. Um, and we have psychologists that are researching that stuff, um, but it's kind of disclosed, so I can't really say much, but um, in all that, it's being proved that it's beneficial. Have you like specifically seen or worked with a patient that you thought, you know, maybe came in there and they weren't as happy, um, but once they started getting involved and being more social, um, did they seem like they were happier or have you had any scenarios or cases in which you saw this potentially? I have seen um, a lot of people benefit from being more social. Um, for instance, um, there were a couple patients that I took care of that um, when I first began working at the nursing home 
who really wanted to stay in their rooms and not do anything social. Um, but then they kind of figured out um, that there's more benefits to that and for, for their um, own well-being as um, this one patient um, started doing more activities and um, talking to other patients and she realized <laughs> that she's able to get extra food or is able to share extra food with um, patients and whatnot. Um, so it's kind of to her benefit um, just by participating that she and anyone else that kind of shows up to those events um, kind of get a reward in a way. So you guys um, in turn to that, so um, you guys try and support them being more social and you sort of in a way reward them if they you know are included or do participate in any of those social activities in a way yes um, because most of the um, patients that we have don't have any family that come to visit so they're pretty lonely so we try to encourage socialization as much as possible that way um it doesn't lead to any suicidal thoughts, depression, anything like that. Um, but um, just our reward system kind of um, benefits those patients who always want kind of the extra things, such as candy, food, one-on-one um, -on -one time with um, certain workers. Um, we try to make um, them as comfortable as possible since um, that is their home and their environment is different than they're used to, so we just try to make them comfortable. So I know that it is, you know, pretty important for seniors who might not feel at home um, to try and have communication and maintain, you know, friendships, whether that's with you guys or other members that are also within this facility. Um, do you guys try to, you know, make sure that they're listened to and talked to? And have you, you know, quite like have you developed friendships with these people or have you seen people develop friendships with these people and try you know to include them or like do things one-on-one -on -one with them to make them feel like they're more included and more comfortable within their surroundings so I've seen that in a variety of different ways that um we try to make them as comfortable as possible um as I'm a nursing assistant I kind of have like 20 to 40 patients that I would have to take care of at once so I couldn't really do one-on-one -on -one activity um, but I would try to as best as possible to give them that time and proper care um, but we did have like patient care assistants who would be brought in just to kind of hang out with certain patients um, for company or companionship and we even would let um, patients hang out with other patients if um, they created a friendship or whatnot at different events um always um up to both of them and even if their families have to be involved we always have to ask them that um and we also have um special needs kids that come in um and they're able to interact with um the elderly patients um and they kind of develop friendships um with one another which is kind of a cool thing that we offer and then do you have like any clients that come to you and specifically ask you for these things like how does it the process typically work do they have to ask you you know if someone would be willing to come and hang out with them or do you guys just like willingly do it or you know what it, what's your typical go-to for that situation so it really depends on each individual patient 
Um, most of them, since they're elderly, they're there for a reason where they can't take care of themselves or make decisions for themselves. So um, we have to have their families involved, doctors involved. So it's usually up to doctors and nurses on how they're treated, um, per se. Um, so they're, when they're admitted to staying in our long-term care, they usually have an evaluation on behavior and a psychologist or a behavior specialist, um, for instance, has to do that to see on how they act with other people. Um, and if they have any family um, they take into consideration, um, basically those with no family or and are pretty secluded, they have to um, kind of have more for them. And then also, you know, going further into talking about, you know, certain risks with with patients. Um, how were risks, you know, described to patients, you know, and regarding like their health? Like if they were doing something that could be potentially hindering their health, um, how did you guys like communicate with them so that they, you know, best understood like the actions they were doing, were participating, you know, to risky health situations? Um, or how did you guys, you know, further <laughs> into that? Um, two questions in one. Um, but how did you guys um, also describe, you know, risks with each other? Did you have like papers, you know, that said that you had a high risk patient or how were risks described, you know, to to the patients regarding their health and how were risks described between each other as to, you know, which patients were high risk more so than others? Um, so for the patient risk, um, the doctors or the nursing staff would um, just briefly explain, like bluntly, on what happens if they were not compliant or they didn't want to take their medications or they wanted to participate in things they shouldn't be doing. Um, for instance, we had um, a male and a female become friends and want to be alone in the room together and one was a fall risk and another one wasn't um so that puts one into harm's way and the other one um not in her right mind also in harm's way um so the families have to be notified the doctors have to be notified and we try to prevent those risks from happening um but for um co-workers and working staff um risks are kind of um so all the um, patient doors would have like fall risk, high risk, um, oxygen risk, um, just so we're aware of our surroundings and to make sure that certain things aren't brought into certain areas to cause any harm to the patients, ourselves, and anybody else in the building. Do you believe um, that the media does its job in portraying seniors appropriately, um, or do you think that they kind of stereotype seniors? Um, I know that, you know, a big part of including seniors into the community, you know, is kind of based off of the stereotypes that are set or, you know, how the community portrays the seniors. Um, do you think the media is doing its job in portraying them, you know, fairly or do you think that they um, are kind of you know creating those stereotypes that we hear regarding you know the seniors and how efficient they are and you know hanging out with the rest of society so I think that the media um, gives the stereotypical elderly kind of stereotype for the 
for those um, that are like in long-term care and just elderly people in general. Um, I feel like it's really the younger generation that um, is more disrespectful than anything and just think that they shouldn't listen to their elders because they know too much or they're not cool or stuff like that. Um, And I feel like the media just portrays that because the younger generation is kind of taking over that, um, especially in the media, news reporters, journalists. um, And you kind of see um, that happening kind of all over the place. I feel like the younger generation really needs to um, gain acceptance to the elderly community as um, the geriatric people are actually like my favorite type of people. They have the most stories, the most knowledge, um, and they're actually, in my opinion, the best role models to kind of have since they've been going through life longer than anybody else has. And that the media just needs to stop portraying them as dumb and coherent um, and all of all of what you would normally see even on TV shows and whatnot. What in your scenario do you believe um, needs to be done in order for them, you know, to be, for seniors to be more accepted into society? I know we kind of briefly, you know, touch bases on that regarding um, social media, Um, but what do you think, you know, other than social media needs to be done for seniors to feel more accepted within their community and make, you know, the younger generation feel more comfortable and more accepting towards the older generation and, like, working with them and, you know, doing things and activities with them? So I think that the younger generation needs to stop, um, quote-unquote, putting old people on blast (laughs) um, all over social media because I see that everywhere. They put it on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, making fun of the elderly people just because, oh, they'll see them walking around aimlessly, which is not normal. Maybe they're lost and it's a mental health issue or that they have dementia. And I feel like the younger generation should really be taught more efficiently even in school on how to respect their elders for say. Yeah, and I think that's really important. I see that a lot as well. So I definitely um, understand where you're coming from on the social media's perspective. Um, Do you think like there's any regular day-to-day activities um, that these people could be, you know, included in um, in order to make them feel more comfortable? You know, maybe even with the younger generation, maybe they feel, you know, threatened in a way way by the younger generation because of all of this, um, you know, that the younger generation is creating um, and all the social media content. Do you think there's anything that we can help, you know, submerge the younger generation and the older generation into doing like any sort of activities in order for them to feel, you know, like they really understand each other or get along with each other? I feel like the earlier that um, you're taught to respect the elderly people, I feel like there's already kind of an understanding and kind of you're learning how to respect them. Um, But I would suggest um, maybe pen pals. Um, So as like I said before, like the earlier the better. Um, So like elementary school age kids, I think should be able to um, write the elderly people and kind of make a pen, pen pal friendship 
and um, maybe every other year or every couple years in school, I'll allow them to do that or even um, like for holidays and whatnot to write cards to the elderly people and they can do it back um, to kind of have that like grandparent effect um, since most elderly people have grandkids. For those who don't, they might enjoy kids and just creating relationships with um, the younger generation um, to hopefully stop the um, social media bashing and um, how they're portrayed. Okay, and I think that wraps up, um, you know, all of my questions I had. So thank you so much for meeting with me today. Um, this is definitely great information, you know, some of which I had no idea, you know, was an issue or was a topic um, up in today's standards. So I'm, I'm very grateful that you met with me today because this is definitely important and, you know, a topic that definitely should be discussed um, and, you know, definitely including the seniors in today's society and today's community would be very beneficial you know for them and for everyone else I can only imagine the amount of friendships that could be made between elderly people um, and the rest of the community you know a lot of people especially in today's day and age I feel like you know whether it's young or old have you know mental health issues that are being more addressed um, rather than they were in the past so I feel like you know this is a great way to help you know, create an, another person for someone to talk to, whether it's a senior or even a younger adult. Having, you know, someone to look up to or someone to communicate to would be such a great way for them to be, you know, included in society and for them to feel like they're not alone with their struggles and that, you know, especially with the older people, they can definitely tell, you know, younger people like, hey, I've had my fair share of struggles as well and you can definitely get through things. And I think this would be a great and positive thing, especially for today's day and age and all the stress that has been accumulated. I feel like this this would be really, really great and, you know, um, helping society create a better outlook on life. This interview with Stephanie had information that I knew, information that I learned in class, and also contained information that I had never heard of before. When asking Stephanie about how she dealt with and handled multicultural patients, I had no idea that some care facilities had the ability to call in a translator in virtually, if necessary. This makes sense that it would be an option, but I had no idea that translators could be on call even at night. And I had no, I know that Stephanie had mentioned that she had worked the midnight shift. I also found it interesting that Stephanie learned how to do some sign language from a patient's family member. This made sure that her patient fully comprehended what Stephanie was trying to say and showed that Stephanie cared about her patient's feelings. I also found it interesting when I asked Stephanie about how she felt or what she believed the impact of socialization in seniors was on their physical health. Stephanie mentioned that some of their psychologists on staff were currently doing research on this topic, but that this information was disclosed due to HEPA standard. This meant that Stephanie was keeping true to the HEPA standards and could only talk about information that did not include the doctors or patients there or the potential of the outcomes of their research or what was included in their research. I also found it interesting that high-risk patients have to have their families notified of their risks 
and they that doctors and nurses who worked in the care facility also had to aware each other of certain risks, such as falling or oxygen risks, like Stephanie had described. This means that staff within this care unit were expecting and anticipating these risks due to patient behavior. The theory of planned behavior can also be seen within this as an example. Patients had the belief and the attitudes that they could still do and move what they how and like they used to and that society expected this of them because something simple such as walking would obviously you know be something that most people would do and most elderly people wanted society to still think that this was something that they were capable of doing and then this in turn created a behavior in which staff had to be cautious of because the staff knew their risk and knew that if they did or enacted in this behavior, it could lead to issues. I also thought when Stephanie shared that a male and female patient who wanted to spend time together in their room alone would create a dissimilar boundary orientation between the patient and the patient's family. I believe this because the patient or patients would obviously believe this to be private information and the family would assume that this information could be shared with them, who then in turn they might tell other extended family members this information, causing an invasion of privacy between the family and between the patient. I also thought that it was great that the care facility that Stephanie worked at had events such as group outings at restaurants and access to a hair salon. This meant that the care facility was offering multiple types of social support. The group outings to restaurants displayed networking social support by giving patients a feeling or belonging while being able to go into a hair salon provided patients with tangible social support by providing physical assistance to their hair. The most interesting part of the interview with Stephanie to me was how social media viewed seniors. Stephanie believed that the media created a stereotype for elderly people. She believed that articles that are written today are not written by most, in most cases, by the elderly, and that most of the younger people are actually writing and publishing these stories. I believe that this was an extremely important point that was brought up within the conversation. This shows an example of implicit bias, or the assumptions one involuntarily makes. In this scenario, the bad implicit bias of the seniors because as Stephanie had described, um, these people assume that seniors are, are dumb and that they're senile, you know, and that they, they have no idea what's going on, which in most scenarios, this is very opposite from what's going on. And, you know, as Stephanie had even mentioned, anytime, you know, there's anything abnormal going on with seniors in which, you know, the society likes to capture, this could mean something is going on, you know, with their mental health or, you know, with what they're comprehending or what they're understanding in the natural world. Um, and this isn't something that we should be making fun of.